Welcome, this is Now is the Time, LLC, with your host, Ronnie Needham. Today we're going to talk about episode four. Uh, it's a one-hour episode, but it's broken up on YouTube into six equal parts. It's broken up on to the podcast for, for two different parts. We're going to talk about finding your why. And anything that you want to do or you want to accomplish, you have to find your why. And if you don't know why, then you don't know what you want to accomplish. So let's just use myself for an example. I was a workaholic. Um, you know, I broke my neck when I was seven years old. Hurt three vertebrates, had to wear a collar for several years. Cut my thumb off when I was 15. So I had to sit and rehab a lot. When you're young, it's kind of hard. So different things get put into you where you're driven to exercise, try to move your neck, try to move your neck, try to move your neck. Can't pick up a pen. With no feeling in your thumb, you can't pick up anything. You had to learn to write left-handed. You had to do all kinds of things. So after the first 21 years of life, I had four major injuries. The last of 21 was a, an aneurysm in the brain. And I was driven to want to be in business for myself. After experience in a warehouse, I decided that I wanted to sell something, that I wanted to be able to make a lot of money, that I didn't want to have somebody else tell me what to do. So I was driven from age 22, 23, for the next 40 years, 40 plus years, to be the best. Uh, in every company I worked for, from Dodge World, I sold more cars and set records national records on some of that. Um, when I work for Holiday Spa, I'm 19 years old. <clears throat> I'm leading the country in sales and percentage and closing, and I was an instructor, a bodybuilder. And I was the first to be able to take and get a new program started in the spa industry, which was getting contracts for rehabs with hospitals. This is worth millions of dollars. So I'm 19, 20, and they're talking about sending me to, to California to open my own gym under their umbrella. Well, I had an aneurysm that ended that. So at that point, I went forward and sold pots and pans. And after rehab, sold pots and pans and became the number one out of 6,000 salespeople was number one 42 times in two years. And it's people who sell stuff out of their car, out of their trunk, perfume, pots and pans, you know, it's on the streets. And there's thousands of us selling. Now, Larry Hahn was a good mentor. He made $600 million. So I'm in my 20s and I'm making 200 grand a year. Flying here, going to Vegas, it's a lot cheaper then, new cars, living. The neighborhood I lived in, in, in Highland Heights, Ohio, all my neighbors were doctors. They seen me, a long-haired kid, kid. My hair was much longer than I had a mustache. And they're like, what do you do? Do you sell drugs? I'm like, no. I don't sell drugs. Why do you ask? He's a doctor. He's a lawyer. She's a surgeon. And you sell pots and pans? Uh-huh. Don't believe you. Don't bring drugs up here. The cops came to my house all the time. And it got to be a joke with the uh, Highland Heights Police Department that, uh, no, the pot and pan guy just sells pots and pans. I did meet, I did meet uh, Alan Wilkinson, who was the largest podiatrist in the world. He came to my meetings. He like, this is pretty good, what you teach. 
and I helped him develop a lot of businesses. He paid me 5000 for an ideal. I got nothing else off of it but how I would structure to take a different company forward. And I took one of his uh, companies that he bought. He bought 150, 200 different companies. And they were selling coffee machines and servicing the coffee and gas stations, factories, stuff like that. I said, what's the average account of worth? He said, $950. What's the machines cost you, Alan? About $75. How much commission you pay the salespeople? I give them $300. You want to make it a bigger company? Pay for the machines, give them to the people free. Let the salespeople have 10% residual income forever. So they'll get more accounts because they're making an override off of everything sold. Little, little to say that that ideal went from a $400,000 to a five or $6 million coffee company the next year. So I'm playing golf with him. I get to meet Teresa Hines and Hines Ketchup people. So I've been in the arena being around a lot of money, a lot of big time people. Larry Hahn, you know, and fabulously wealthy. In 92, I started Ronaldo Designer Jewelry, and years later, it became the largest warcrafting company in history in the United States. And I was on the road 30 to 40 weeks a year. And the other part of the time, I was in New York developing the East Coast. And I had a New York apartment. And I used to tell everybody, I, I tell my wife and kids, I do this for you guys. But that was a lie. I, I did that for me because when I got hurt as a child, something caused me to feel that I didn't measure up. Something caused me to feel that I was going to fail. And when you feel that you're, you're not good enough or you don't measure up, when you do good at something, your emotional needs that more and more and more. So at one point, we were making... You know, we sold 174 million retail sales the last 10 years, so we were selling a lot of product. And from a barn and me training people to doing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of personal appearances, I didn't care if I came home for Christmas. I didn't care if I missed Thanksgiving, which I missed several by doing the shows for Sam's Casino in Tunica and Las Vegas. I wanted everybody to take a picture of me. I wanted everybody to... Tell me, oh, I love your jewelry, Ronaldo. I want everybody to tell me, you know, my name is Ronnie, but my first uh, IRS name was Ronald, and Sam Boyd had an O to it to give me the name Ronaldo, and he put me all over radio and drawed a lot of people from Mississippi, Arkansas, Tennessee. And that's basically, you know, that and 15 years of trade shows that we became very popular with the stories. People collected this. So I, I used to um, pretend that I'm doing all this for the family. Then one day, Kristen told me to come see her shoot in this basketball thing. Uh, she was one of the better basketball shooters in the state of Indiana. On the team, they had competition. Who wins the free throw goes to uh, the regional and the sectional and the state. So she's playing in the, in the big thing. And I'm like, I, I, I can't come. I can't come. I, I, got, I, I got a chance to do the Academy Awards. And... My stuff will be in gift bags. But maybe next year. Maybe next year. And then the next year, it's like, Daddy, 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 
why don't you come to Europe with us? Or this vacation with us, you know? They went to Europe to see, uh, Kristen wanted to see the uh, Mona Lisa. So her and her mom, my wife, and other daughter went. I stayed home and worked. <clears throat> One time I was in the hospital, I had a really bad pain. I went there and I said, oh, you got a kidney stone and it's stuck. And I'm like, yeah, it hurts real good. And they're giving me morphine. And the UK game's on and one of the people in the office came to see me, my brother-in-law. He's like, what are you doing? I'm sitting here, well, I'm drawing pictures of two designs on bracelets. He goes, oh my God, what's wrong with you? You're in morphine? You're in the hospital under so much pain from a kidney stone and you're sitting here working? See, that's all I ever knew. And there's so many other stories. I mean, it's just outrageous. When you have an addiction, you lie to anybody. If you're an alcoholic, you'll say, I don't have a problem. If you're a gambler, it's like, I work hard, you know, I, hey, you know, I went to track all the time. Or I've been on the football games and hey, I may be down this year, but I won last year. So no matter what, you will lie, you will cheat, you will steal from your family. You say, well, I don't cheat. When your daughter wants you to come watch her play ball and you don't go, who are you kidding? You're cheating your loved ones. And somebody will say, well, I don't steal. You think that you're not stealing time when your other daughter is playing in the tennis in high school and one of the best in the country and you never see her play once? I stole time from my family. After 30 years, you wonder why I went through a horrible divorce? My own fault. You want to know why the kids really don't Talk to dad much, if at all. I was never there for him. You have to, you have to one day just wake up and say, I go through a horrible divorce. I don't know who I am anymore. The divorce has got everything pretty much frozen or you're locked out. So you go from being a multimillionaire to can't get access to your company. You can't go home. You can't go to your office. Everything is unbelievably complicated, legal this, legal that. Why? After I'm going through the most horrible divorce of the Johnny Carson, I come back to Louisville to visit a friend of mine about buying some possible real estate. And it's one of my attorney's sister, and I knew, uh, I knew Myla for many, many years. I knew, you know, the Greek family. So we go out to Jay Alexander's to talk about real estate, and I tell her, well, I'm going through a big divorce, the most horrible divorce in the world. It's been many months now, but uh, I need a, I got some investment opportunities in Ponsatani, PA, from some people there that I know. And she's like, well, I wouldn't buy anything right now, maybe later. So she gave me some advice, and she paid for the mail. So I'm like, wow, nobody's ever bought me anything. I've always paid for everything for everybody. And I felt bad. I said, no, no, no. And she said, no, you sent me and my brother Tom to Greece with your American Express miles. And I just want to reciprocate and say thank you. 
Talk going back to Troy, Michigan. And I had an apartment up in Troy while I was still waiting for all this legal stuff, the pandemic coming on, and all kinds of, of delays for a couple of years. And I'm in Troy, and I decide, well, I'm going to send her some flowers because she bought me dinner and just say thank you. So I sent her flowers, and Myla called me a couple days, or the next day, I should say. And she said, how did you know it's my birthday? I said, I didn't. I didn't remember. I was just saying thank you for the dinner. I said, but, you know, July 2nd is a very important date to me. She said, how so? And I said, well, my best friend, Mina, died five years ago, July 2nd. And she worked for me for about 20 years, her and Doug. And uh, she's my guardian angel, and one of the best friends I've ever had in my life. And I prayed for five years that God would send me a, another friend. Because what I do makes my life very lonely. Being gone all the time. So I told her, I said, you know, it's a very important date to me because that was Mina. And she said, that's kind of a coincidence. My birthday is the same date. And I said, yeah, it is. Long story short, I had to be back in Louisville two weeks later to do some legal stuff with the attorneys. We went out to eat to talk about the coincidences and I'm at the restroom and she pays for dinner again. And I take her home and she said, would you like to get a glass of water, Ronnie? I said, sure. And I go in and I meet her cat, Baby. Now, Myla had never been married and she dated a nice gentleman for several years and uh, he's an angel now, but that was his cat. Now this cat, she says, doesn't hop on anybody. He's been gone five years. And I'm like, well, I don't know why he's up in my lap, but he's, he's like meowing, I'm petting him, and she comes in the room, oh my God, look at that. And I said, well, that's kind of another weird thing. And I went back to Troy, Michigan, that, I think the next morning. I stayed in the motel. I went back, and she called me a day or two later. We talked, and I called her, and we talked. And every night, we would talk for an hour or two hours like high school kids about everything and about nothing. It was different. About the end of July, I had an argument with God that uh, I don't want to like anybody anymore. I don't want to love anybody anymore. Everybody hurts me. I'm afraid. I'm afraid uh, that somehow I won't measure up. Somehow, I can make a lot of money, but I'm no good at the things that count. And all I kept hearing was, you prayed for a best friend for five years, and I sent you one. I didn't say I sent you a girlfriend or a new wife. I sent you a best friend. And I said, right then and there, I said, I'm going to love her as my best friend, and if anything ever happens above that, then it's just God's will. So we talk all the time. She goes to Greece for three weeks and I miss her. I go ride an Indy car at 200 miles an hour, uh, a peg guy driver, and I want to be scared to death. I want my heart to beat. I want to know if I'm alive or am I dead. Nothing. 
I go, never been skydiving. They say, okay, you're going to get scared. This is going to be an adrenaline rush, blah, blah, blah. I jump out with the guy in Michigan. They make you have a tandem. I ask him, can I pull a little cords? And I'm pulling it all the way down. It's all the way up, almost flipping over, and all the way down the other way. And it's going, boom, boom. We get down. He goes, you really had a good time. You can't do flips up there. And he said, what's up with that? I said, I wanted to be scared, but nothing. My heart doesn't beat anymore. I'm just not alive. I'm already dead. When Myla got back from Greece and she called me, my heart was like a pacemaker. It took my breath away just to hear her voice. And I said, uh-oh. You done messed up, buddy. What you fear is coming has already arrived. If God didn't want me to love her, he wouldn't send her to me. So I called Myla and I said, uh, I'm going to be coming down October the 12th, October 13th. I know you've been gone to Greece for three weeks. I want to take you to show you the world's greatest miracle. And we're just going to be seeing that miracle that day. And she called back. She said, I just can't go. I can't go. And I said, it's only one day. She said, okay, I'll go. I come down on July, I mean, uh, October the 12th. She has some kind of high school or grade school reunion with all of her classmates from previous years. And I told her, I said, I'll pick you up at 4.30. She thinks we're going to drive to Lexington maybe and see a horse being born or something, you know, or whatever. But she didn't know we were going to New York. She thought we were going to Lexington. So I pick her up and we get to the airport. And Molly's like, what are we doing here? And I'm like, we're going to go to New York. The miracle you have to see is not in Louisville. It's in New York. She said, oh. I said, well, we'll be back tonight. We'll go the same morning and come back. Eight o'clock, we arrive in New York and we go. My driver takes us to Sarah Beth's. We have Sarah Beth's Eggs Benedict outside of Central Park, and again, she pays. So now we've now been out three times to eat, and she paid all three times. I told her, you gotta quit doing that. We walk across to stop number two, Central Park, and we, I paid the guy, and he took us all around the park. I'm dressed in a suit, and she's always looking lovely. We see all things about the park, and my driver takes us then on stop number three to watch the ice skaters. I like to ice skate, and Central, Park is good, but I like Rockefeller Plaza the best. So we walk around, excuse me, the plaza. We see everybody ice skating. And we walk around across the street to St. Patrick's Cathedral, stop number four. We get there exactly at 12. We walk in, and the priest, I swear to goodness, the priest sits there and says, Today, is about miracles. She looks at me and I look at her. She whispers in my ear, how much did you have to pay him to say that? And I said, I, I didn't, I didn't. I don't know what's going on. We all got outside. We had to, we could only stay 15 minutes because we had to be at the next location. And her eyes are all glassy, like, you know, right when you get ready to cry or you get shook up about something. 
She's like, you gotta tell me. Did, did you tell him to say that? And I said, no. It's just the universe talking to us, I reckon, you know. So my driver picks us up and we go to stop number five, which is the Broadway play. Come from away, about 9-11. We get out of there, she loves the play. It's now maybe close to 3.30. The next stop, we walk around for several hours all around Times Square. We see all kinds of shops, and I said, well, we need to get to our next location. Our next stop is Sardi's to eat. As we were driving in the limousine, she grabbed my hand to hold my hand. And thinking, it's been 40 years since maybe more since I was a kid when somebody held my hand. And I thought, wow, how nice is that? We got to Sardi's, we sit down, and I don't drink, and she doesn't drink. So, we're having dinner. But as the maitre d' was seeing us, she said, can I sit on the same side as him? It'd been years since somebody sat next to me. We're talking, and she has chicken Marcel, and she chops it up, and she said, would you like a bite? And I'm like, yeah. She said, open up. She fed me a piece off her fork. First time anybody fed me anything since I cut my thumb off Christmas uh, that year when I finally woke up. December 23rd, so I didn't want to cut the thumb off. They put it back on. But the last time somebody gave me something on a spoon or a fork was then. So I'm sitting there, and I'm like, real soon you'll know. You'll, you'll know. So I tell her, I said, Myla, we have to go now. It's time to show you the miracle. and time to take you home. So my driver had the schedule. He takes us to Bryant Park, and I tell her, I said, the miracle's in the park. Come on, get out of the car. Get out of the limo. We walk over to the park, and I look in her, and I tell her, I said, close your eyes and listen. Don't open your eyes for nothing. And I said, do you realize there's almost 8 billion people in the world, in the world, and no one has your DNA? God made you special. Your heart beats over 100,000 times a day. And nobody has to tell it to do so. That's what your heart does. It pumps over 2,000 gallons of blood through your body to bring in oxygen and nutrients. Nobody tells it to. Your brain does a billion, billion computations every second. You have over 30 trillion cells in your body. So I told her all about her body and I had a compact mirror in my back pocket. I pulled the mirror out and I said, open your eyes to see the world's greatest miracle. She opens her eyes, she starts crying. She says, I messed up too. I fell in love with you. And I told her, I said, I love you. You saved my life. 
And that's my why. We got back in limo, went to the airport, went on home. And I told her, I said, uh, I've never known what love is, and I was scared to death. Didn't aim for it to be that way. And uh, I would have found something else or gone back to a different company or a new company. And I would have died in a motel room on the on the road as a workaholic. But now, I want to live to be with you. So she is my why. And I had to say, everything that I did for the next two years was because of her. I wrote down the knowledge. I wrote down the courses. I wrote down, I, I did a novel. I learned how to do grammar much better. And I took and developed the seven modules and broke something that I had did my whole life, being a workaholic, being a real butt, lying to your family, lying to your kids, lying to your mom and dad, telling everybody you're doing it for them when you're doing it for you. And finally saying, I don't like who I am, but I'm going to be somebody much better. And I'm going to be great at being the best boyfriend Great at being the best one who cares the most, who listens the most. And I wrote the program. So it's halftime. We're going to take a break, and we're going to come back for the third quarter. It's kind of interesting. And uh, we'll see you back in a few minutes.